I'm Adrian Pope. They've been saying that for years, though. Oh, it's more than that. It's more than that. Just get control. Well, um... Yeah, I think probably, um, you know, even if it hurts them, it's still, I think, the right thing for the country. Um, the fact that you need, you know, a two-thirds majority to do anything, basically, or, or 60 votes in the Senate is uh, crazy. Oh yeah, I mean, I think it'd be a great idea if if they actually they actually have to filibuster. They actually have to put their you know money where their mouth is and literally sit there on the floor of Congress, not going to the bathroom, but sitting there talking for hours after hours. Yeah, Stan. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, makes it even harder. But because then you have a situation like where instead of Congress just like I don't know, in the extreme case, you know, you don't look at the '60s, right? When um, you know, you had. Republicans going against civil rights and they were literally filibustering by standing there and you could it was televised and you could literally see people standing there talking about why we shouldn't you know give black people the right to vote or whatever and you know that's a pretty powerful image Mm-hmm. 
Well, I guess important thing to note, that's not the, the right to vote for a felon. It's after you've done your time. So if you've gone to prison and served your time and then you're free again, you should have the right to vote, right? Well, a lot of it's just like low-key drug dealing. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Well... Well, it's funny. Well, yeah, I mean, in theory, um, the filibuster is more democratic because you have to have more of the country's representatives agreeing with you. But in reality and in practice, it's a terrible uh, formula for running a government. <laughs> Uh, well, I think, well, I mean, there's a lot of important things, right? I think, Well, it's, it's funny, and that, that issue, you can see very clearly how disingenuous the Republicans are, because they really cared about voting fraud and wanted these voter, ID, uh, voter IDs for, for, for real, like, real voters, then they would probably give money up to make it easier for people to get them. You know what I mean? Um, I think the fact that they just require the IDs and then make it harder for people to get them, and then they hide the fact that they're taking people off the voting rolls who don't even know they can't vote anymore. Like, if they really cared about the authentic, uh, uh, authenticity of our elections, then, like, voter IDs are, in theory, fine, but you shouldn't make it so hard for people to get them. You shouldn't uh, make the requirement known without telling everybody. Like, what if the government just simply mailed people with driver's license and voter IDs and then, you know, they actually had some kind of money to give outreach to people who don't have driver's license to go get the voter IDs. You know what I mean? Uh, why? Like. Oh, yeah. 
Because, uh, and that wouldn't be too complicated because the government already knows when you're supposed to show up for first grade. They already know when you're supposed to sign up for selective service. Like they know a lot of these things about people. Um, so the fact that like they make it as hard as possible is just so disingenuous. Oh, well, the federal government especially, yeah. I mean, with the EPA, I mean, you could do so much to help fight uh, climate change just by reorganizing the EPA to the way the Obama administration had it, where they where they actually tried to cut down on pollution. Uh, you know, crazy idea there. Uh, the EPA tries to regulate pollution and, and help people's lives and live cleaner lives and have our communities cleaner. Like not giving away public land to mining companies, because that's that's the amazing thing to me is they act like these mining companies are so great for the economy. But if you open up public land to mining, a company comes in, ruins the land, steals the resources, and then a lot of these companies are usually owned by like just a couple of people, and they pay their workers jack shit. So what you really have is a couple people getting rich, some shareholders making some dividends, and then the land is ruined, never to be used again by industry because it's like sapped already. Not to mention that's literally everybody's land. It's federal you know, land. That's the people's land. The fact that we give it away for free or small rents to a company to make millions of dollars is, is kind of strange. But those people donate heavily to the Republican Party, so that's why it's done. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because um, every time a political party changes, there's a lot of people in D.C. And all the department heads, all like high-level managers in the bureaucracy are, are basically political appointees. So imagine like a political party, if you're out of power for eight years, and, and you kind of see this with the Trump administration when they came into power. You know, Obama and Democrats had been in power for eight years in the executive branch. So first off, the Republicans already, you know, had people who hadn't done those jobs in, in years. Plus, you had Trump require a, a litmus test of people you, you couldn't be in if you had ever criticized Trump publicly. Uh, so a lot of experts were immediately out. So that's why a lot of our problems today are, are exist is because Trump came in, didn't know what he was doing, brought in people who didn't know what they were doing, didn't take advice of people who knew how to do it, and more importantly, pushed out people who had said anything negative about him publicly.
Yeah, because uh, remember, uh, Donald Trump told Chris Christie that they didn't need a transition team after they won the election because them two could just run the entire federal government themselves because they're so smart. Um, yeah. He got fired. <laughs> yeah. The who's who of important countries on the planet. Well, here's the funny thing about that, too, is like multilateralism is so heavily criticized by the far right, and the Republican Party, not even the far right, just the entire Republican Party. You know, they criticized Obama of wanting to be an international celebrity. They criticize, you know, they say America should just worry about ourselves. But, you know, a lot of the countries that Trump has ruined relationships with are countries that we need to kind of do everything with anyway. And we're already a very close trading relationships. Our economies are relatively intertwined. Uh, historically, they back us politically and things we want to do. Uh, like think of the a coalition of the willing who joined in the war on Iraq, even though it was a boneheaded idea just because they supported America. So like, uh, if you can't get countries like Australia and New Zealand and like let's say Denmark, the Netherlands to like join America and what we want to do, um, first off, those countries pay money to help us. They alleviate some of our burden. You have countries like you know with Libya. You know the outcome wasn't necessarily what anyone would have wanted, but you know Britain and France did most of the work on that. We just use our intelligence. Um, like if if you're doing something, having other countries join us willingly provide you know military assets or money or expertise um, I don't see the downside to that you know what I mean yeah Yeah.
Well, Ebola is a good example. Ebola is a funny example because, you know, a lot of people, Trump included, criticized Obama for letting some of the infected Americans come back to the country when they were infected with Ebola, but they were properly quarantined. They listened to medical advice and Ebola did not spread here, whereas Trump didn't do anything for coronavirus. And, you know, you know, some people came back from those cruise ships. They weren't quarantined. They didn't No one checked up on them. And now, you know, they spread coronavirus, you know, to who knows how many people, you know, uh, what was it like someone came back in like Washington or something and then suddenly an entire a retirement home has coronavirus? <laughs> um, so clearly there's a difference in outcome in, 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 in what the two presidents did. Well, I mean, that's really complicated. Um, it depends on what's going around in the world. But I mean, certainly uh, a change in the way we talk about NATO and talk about our NATO partners who actually help America and have a lot of coordination with our military. Um, just thinking about, you know, CENTCOM over in the Middle East um, and, and specifically like um, uh, the, the Navy component within it. Um, there's a lot of international support that helped NAVSENT. Uh, you know, there's frigates and destroyers from other countries who help and, you know, patrol the uh, Persian Gulf. They, they help some of that deterrence over there. Uh, they help fight piracy around the Horn of Africa. Um, um, I mean, while I was out there, there was, uh, you know, British and French had ships out there. Japan had some ships. Pakistan and India both had a ship out there for a while. China had ships over there. So, I mean, like, there is real gains from having close, especially military relationships with these people. And, you know, we have closer military relationships with people when we have closer political relationships as well. I think just more countries coordinating to do more good and not just demonize them for the silliest little things is uh, probably better for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here's a, yeah, here's a great example is Australia. Probably most people don't know this, but I saw somewhere that Australia has, has sent troops to every war America's fought since World War II. Um, I mean, how many people knew that Australia sent troops to Vietnam? Probably not many. I didn't know that until I read it. So, you know, you have the fact that Trump 
you know, put tariffs on Australian steel for national security purposes. It's so like, how does that help national security? Australia sent troops to Afghanistan with us. They sent them to Iraq. They were helping fight ISIS. Australia sent, you know, a frigate to help patrol, uh, you know, close to the Persian Gulf, uh, coordinating with NAVSEN. It's like, how are they a national security risk? If Australia does well, doesn't that help America? Well, what it implies is that we need to screw over other countries just for our own benefit, which, you know, uh, you know, the they, Republicans love the phrase a rising tide lifts all boats. I mean, you could definitely say that about, you know, NATO and, you know, the international, you know, coalition of countries allied to America, both diplomatically and politically and economically, of course, in this uh, very globalized world. Well, Trump's doctrine is really anybody who's not me personally. Well, that's a funny thing. Well, it's funny, the, ver- the zero-sum kind of attitude that a lot of people on the right have, uh, and you, you saw it even back with Bush, you know, they, when France didn't want to join the Iraq war effort, you know, they, they called French fries freedom fries, they made fun of France, and, uh, you know, the funny thing is, like, in this day and age, you know, I hope this stays the same forever, but, like, there's essentially no imaginable way or reason why America and Canada or France or Germany would ever go to war again. Um, and you know, we have very close trade relationships with them. We, we, we sell and buy a lot of stuff to each other. Like, so the fact that like, if a, if a country like France is, is really adamantly opposed to something we're doing, I mean, maybe that's an indication that we should look at it. And, you know, looking back at the Iraq war, maybe France was right. Maybe we should have given more time for the nuclear uh, weapon inspectors to actually find out if there were not, you know, nuclear weapons. Maybe, you know, maybe we, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, spoiler alert. Uh, maybe there was uh, something to the fact that, you know, taking out Saddam Hussein wouldn't make things better in the Middle East. Um, and, you know, the same thing with countries like Germany. I mean, it, you look at like the G7 uh 
actions to uh, you know cut down on you know tariffs and stuff and, and and try to end the trade war like maybe they're you know have something uh, to offer to the conversation than just Trump and, and right-wing people saying uh, you know we need to make uh, you know the uh, oil and gas companies and and uh, coal companies the strongest country uh, companies in the world you know what I mean Well, that's the funny thing is America, America has offered help. No, America has offered help to Iran and um, Iran has said no. Um, I think they're, the Ayatollah basically said something like any medicine America would give Iran would be poison or something like that. So it is kind of fun. Yeah. Well, what if, yeah. Well, that's the, the hard power, soft power question, right? So Iran, we got out of the Iran deal and we threatened them multiple times with war. That didn't, that's really a hard power kind of solution. It didn't work. And then we upped the ante by killing their general Soleimani and, you know, has anything good happened between our relationship with Iran after that happened? Did we, I mean, you could argue that we've um, uh, basically stopped them from doing something evil, but you know, who, how can you prove that? Uh, but imagine a different world where right now, what if we sent over to Iran hundreds of thousands of face masks with little, you know, American flag holding the hand of an Iranian flag, like showing the people who would be using those masks that, you know, hey, America and Iran don't have to be enemies. You know, that's a, a very clear, simple, and, and probably more effective soft power measure to try to make a better relationship with Iran. Uh, but it's like a wasted opportunity, you know? Mm-hmm.
Oh, yeah. Well, we, we've kind of seen what, like, a lot of the far right, you know, wanted and, you know, and, and seen what happens when they get what they want. And, and America, to some extent, becomes a pariah nation, right? Can you imagine any other president going to, like, a G7 meeting and having other heads of state literally making fun of him behind their back? Yeah, I mean, it, it's a, I mean, Trump's a joke and, you know, it, it, the far right has gotten everything they've wanted and I don't think it's helped America very much. Well, that's like the joke. It's like the joke going back in time like 10 years and saying, hey, in, in 10 years from now, we're going to have a global pandemic that threatens the lives of millions of people. And medical experts all said one thing. But instead, we went with what, uh, you know, Donald Trump, the host of uh, Celebrity Apprentice, wanted. <laughs> he had better ideas. He had a better solution. Well, I think one should just be raising minimum wage. Um, and I think that's an interesting debate because, I mean, we have two kinds of extremes, which I don't think are particularly helpful, um, especially with the way Congress works. Is uh, You know, you have Republicans who say no minimum wage increase and that the minimum wage, you know, maybe should even be lower because it's the bottom rung of the economic ladder. And yeah. And if people are hungrier, it'll make them motivated to want to work harder. And the other extreme is we need to go instantaneously to $15 an hour, um, which I think is probably a good number. If you looked at what the um, uh, if you look at like when they pass minimum wage, if you adjusted for inflation, it'd probably be close to like $12.50 or something. And that's assuming we want to live the same you know lifestyle that we had in the 30s. And I think America deserve, um, and Americans deserve a higher standard of living than what people had in the 30s maybe i think that's fair <laughs> yeah Well, that's a funny thing. That's like the the old story about Ted, uh, Teddy Kennedy is, you know, he, he was trying to get minimum wage increases to a certain amount. And, and when he finally got a lot of Congress to play ball, you know, the the actual amount was less than what he wanted. But, and, but you know, he got it passed. And then the next day he issued a new bill proposal increasing minimum wage more. Yeah, so you got to take what you, and in that vein, I think like you have Republicans literally saying $15 an hour is too high. So what we have is like, uh, you know, people who say they don't want to do anything, which really keeps essentially is saying minimum wage should stay at 750 nationally. 
Um, so I think Democrats should right off the bat make a bill that's first really complicated. It should be something like where uh, minimum wage goes up by, you know, a dollar a year for like six years or something. And then it should at, at a minimum have inflation tied, you know, raises, right? Um Yeah. Yeah. Well, here's a Oh, well, I was just going to say, it's like for, for anyone listening, um, if you don't get a 2% raise per year, you're getting paid less. That's just how it works. We've said this before. Yeah. Well, and you can prove standard of living goes up because most people who pay rent, when you re-sign your lease every year or every whatever it is, you know, they're going to increase the rate by like $10, $15 or more. Um, so if you see that, well, your standard of living literally went down when you signed that piece of paper. If you renewed your lease, um, I mean, so that's the kind of thing people have to think about. And especially if you don't negotiate with your employer for higher wages, I mean, I don't think it's unfair to ask for a 2% minimum raise, you know what I mean? Um, so, and that's another thing, especially if you work for a company that, you know, is hourly, but there's like a height limit of how high your wage can go, like $13 an hour. Well, if you get $13 an hour for five years, you're not getting $13 an hour anymore. You're really getting less and less and less while everything becomes slightly, slightly more expensive. What? Well, that's the funny thing, and that's one of the biggest arguments against raising minimum wage is it'll cause too much inflation, which is kind of funny because the Fed already increases inflation every year. But more importantly, like the fact that if you raise minimum wage from seven fifty to twelve dollars or thirteen dollars an hour, like you will have inflation because you know that's an input for companies going up their workers, so they are losing a slight amount of profit. They will increase prices a tiny bit to accommodate that. But like simple arithmetic basically proves that you know, let's say you have ten workers at a McDonald's and the minimum wage goes up a dollar, you're paying them ten, uh, one dollar more or ten dollars an hour per the entire restaurant, you know, a day, you know what I'm saying? So if you, if McDonald's sells a thousand cheeseburgers or let's say a thousand items a day and they increase the price by, you know, um, 1%, they'll make more money. So let's say you're getting $10 an hour and you get 
up to $11, like a $1 raise, that's a 10% raise. But if McDonald's selling thousands of items a day increases the price of their dollar menu to a dollar four menu, they're gonna make more money even though they're paying their workers more. It's just simple math. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and here, oh, for sure. Well, I just did some quick math. So the minimum wage federally is uh, seven fifty, right? So if you get, if we added three dollars to the minimum wage and made it like uh, uh, ten fifty, like you're getting more than a forty percent raise from seven fifty to ten, like ten fifty. Um, so essentially is if you're getting a 40% raise because big government Democrats want to make your life better, well, if Walmart increases the prices of their goods by 3%, you're still way better off because you got a 40% raise. And because of that raise nationally, there's 3% inflation. Everybody's better off. So, I mean, I don't, I mean, some of the complaints about inflation don't like that's, it's a little disingenuous because yes, there will be inflation, but everyone will still be better off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and touch everyone's food. One thing I just thought of a funny story, um, and maybe it's just the way people think about it, maybe the way conservatives especially think about this issue as a whole, because 
I was in New York City one time and, and I, I came across this uh, little, like, uh, it was interesting. It was a little museum exhibit on the history of lunch in New York City. Um, and it was all about like early workers building the city, like the skyscrapers and what they did for lunch. And a lot of people didn't eat lunch. Not really important to the story, but it talked about how uh, there was this famous diner that sold a nickel coffee. It was, you get coffee for a nickel and it was famous. And they did that deal for years and years and years. You could get a nickel for uh, or you get a coffee for a nickel for like literally 20 something years. And then after 20 years, they increased it to a dime because the restaurant had been losing money on coffee for like years by this point. And they said, okay, we're going to finally increase the price to a dime. And then everyone threatened to not go there and they went out of business because they, they raised for inflation. And it's like, that maybe that's just a conservative's way of thinking about it. Like any inflation is bad. We can't have any. And like, I mean, you got to get real with the times. If you've been having a dollar menu for 20 years, uh, well, the Fed has been increasing inflation 2% per year. So like that dollar, you're not making the money you used to make. So I don't think a rational consumer would be mad about a 5% increase on the dollar menu if it meant all the workers would have a living wage. You know what I mean? Plus, I mean, I was going to say, I mean, if you've been going to the dollar menu for 20 years, you have to realize that you're also getting less food for that money and less quality because the only way with inflation going up 2% per year, the only way that shit is still a dollar is that it's cheaper quality and you get less of it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. Efficiency? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, for the record, that's probably not true. Amazon doesn't pay taxes and they, you know, make lots of money. So the fact that they would go out of business is probably not true. What would happen is your Amazon Prime items would go up three or four or five percent. You know what I mean? Like that's not. But on the other hand, you can you can live with yourself at night that the Amazon workers getting your shit don't literally wear like poop themselves because they don't get bathroom breaks. and They don't, you know, get horribly depressed because they're being worked so hard. I mean, mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
Well, there's got to be some kind of conservative philosophy or or just some kind of ideology or, you know, uh, psychological belief about this kind of topic. Because, you know, at the same time, you have Republicans who, who say things like, you know, not only like, what does it matter what the workers are? We need a stronger economy. What is it like minimum wage makes people weaker, blah, blah, blah. But they also say the same things about climate change. We shouldn't do anything about climate change because it would inconvenience us and it might hurt a the economy for a little bit it's like but at what cost you know what i mean like you can get your item like next day but at what cost of the workers getting you that item uh you can have that dollar menu that's 99 cents but at what cost of the workers working there like if you paid a dollar five for those items you know you, you know there are so many people who work for mcdonald's you know you might be giving thousands of people health care you know what i mean or better health care uh But it's complicated, right? It's complicated because that is such an upper middle class and rich person problem because you cannot, you probably can't feed 330 million people like all or perfectly organic, locally produced, like it's just not going to happen, right? Like you can't feed enough people in LA to have locally grown produce and meat. Like there's not enough land around LA to do that. You know what I mean? Um Well, that's the interesting thing. <laughs> well, that's the interesting thing. If you think about the 2016 election, you always heard like pundits and Pete saying like, you know, the economy might be okay, but people are still hurting and they want an outsider like Trump. Uh, but maybe, maybe just like coronavirus is showing that a giant socialist stimulus and government spending with an active government actively trying to make things better for people, if that's the solution, maybe for all those people hurting in 2016 who voted for Trump, maybe, you know, the solution is just a higher minimum wage. Why? It, it, maybe it's not the regulation that's hurting bil like billionaires from trying to become trillionaires. Maybe it's the fact that millions of people get paid $7.50 an hour. Maybe that's why they're hurting. Maybe it's not someone who's going to come in and cut the EPA that's the solution. Um, maybe it's we need a little more socialist uh, minimum wage that's actually making people's lives better. That's the funny thing is I always I always tell people like 
you know, you have all these coal miners and very, you know, West Virginia is like one of the biggest welfare states in the union. What did Hillary Clinton say she wanted to do? She wanted to take federal money and set up grants to help people in West Virginia get the skills they need to enter the 21st century and more importantly, get away from coal, which is on, you know, its last legs anyway. Um, So, you know, the question is, what did electing Trump, how is he helping them? You know, is you know, coal, coal mines are still going under. Coal plants are going out of business and being replaced by natural gas. So how are West Virginia's or West Virginians better off than four years ago? You know what I mean? Well, Trump's response to, you know, to all of our economic problems would kind of be like if FDR was elected in 1932, you know, and said like, uh, you know, we need to cut more red tape on stockbrokers and banks. You know what I mean? You know, oh, the economy would so much better if bankers and, and all the people on Wall Street could just do more of what they please. And, you know, we need to get rid of these cars. You know, horses are the, you know, classic Americana, you know, transportation system you know what i mean we need to help those poor horse farmers who you know raise horses for the country and it's like these cars you know oh it's it's uh you know it's going to destroy the horse economy you know what i mean like Well, I mean, well, one is healthcare. I think, uh, what do you think about like uh, what coronavirus is basically showing to the American people about how messed up our healthcare system is? Well, here's something interesting I just thought of is, you know, we have a 
strategic petroleum reserve where the government has upwards of like 700 million barrels of gasoline just stored on the off chance, you know, the supply system goes under and we can't get oil so that, you know, a lot of it's, you know, for helping American people in time of crisis or, uh, you know, helping the military if need be with oil. Um, why don't, I'm, I was surprised we didn't have some kind of strategic medical supply reserve. Like, is there any reason the government shouldn't have a hundred million respirators laying around? Uh, if not just for America, but for a worldwide response just to a pandemic that makes it worse by not having enough ventilators. Like, um, I mean, you could say the same thing for, you know, medical masks. I mean, you could produce billions of those things in a couple of weeks and just store them somewhere. Um, why, you know, it, it almost makes me wonder is like, you know, why don't we have stuff like that? I mean, if we have a strate- strategic oil reserve, why not medical supplies? And you could add any number of other, like, why don't we have a strategic supply of any number of other things? You know what I mean? Well, you think about how much the government spends too um like how many respirators do you think a a single billion dollars would get us probably millions right um and even just having a million laying around would be better than nothing i mean you could even make 20 million or 30 what it like i mean uh you know just like a uh you know ship has to have lifeboats for every person on the ship uh why don't you have a similar number of like 25 percent worth of like uh, masks or something, or what if you had ten masks per American just saved somewhere, just on the off chance they were needed? That couldn't be more than a couple hundreds of thousands of dollars, I would assume, right? Mm-hmm. 
Well, it's fun. I mean, that's that's a really important point. That's a that's a good point and something I think a lot of people need to think about with their relationship with the government. Because um, you know what happened after nine eleven was you know a lot of people in the federal government said you know we never would have imagined or anticipated people flying planes into buildings, which wasn't true because the government did worry about that. They just didn't do anything to prepare for it. But like what you know, think of the return on investment if you had like a team of a hundred people just coming up with solutions and planning for potential pandemics, potential disasters, and then you know spending a couple million. Like what if there's a budget of like just ten million dollars a year to buy supplies for any potential pandemic? Some random dude thought of a part of this team because something is better than nothing. You know what I mean? Like imagine if 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 four years ago. You know, someone had just thought, you know what, we have a little extra money in our, our disaster budget. Let's buy 600,000 masks. How, you know, think of, you know, New York City right now is like 10,000 cases of coronavirus or whatever. Think of what those masks, as few as they are in a country of 300 million people, but think of the amount of good and help that would do to like a couple communities that were early hit and ran out of masks. Well, that's a funny thing. That's like...
Well, that'd be an interesting idea. Um, I think certainly the American people, I mean, you see this on the right a lot more, but people have such a weird, uh, perverse relationship with the government. It's like as if they don't realize that it's their money going to get things and it's all done by their neighbors. You know what I mean? So it's the government's not this big evil thing. It's whatever we make it. Um, and, you know, the relationship between the government, the people, and, and what we as a country do, you know, um, I think it would be interesting, like, think of the possibilities, not just the negatives. Like, what if the federal government gave a $1,000 thank you check to every healthcare worker during this crisis, you know? I mean, that would be interesting um, as like a big thank you because those are our neighbors. They're people who are working for us and making the country better off. I mean, you could do the same thing with any number of things like, you know, all those FEMA workers who help after disaster. Um, you know, people are already doing things like, you know, think of the crowdfunding for ridiculous things that are, you know, really strange, right? Like people have medical problems and it's great that they crowdfund, you know, some money for it. Um, but isn't that weird that like, why doesn't our government that's our money being, you know, used to hopefully help people? Clearly, it's not helping people. So isn't it weird that we crowdfund money for health problems uh, when we could just use government money to make healthcare better. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's uh, an hour. Yeah, a lot of interesting ideas for sure. Uh, nope, that's it. I'm Adrian Pope.